Welcome back to Something Private, a podcast for Southeast Asian women by Southeast Asian women, exploring conversations around health, the self, community and love. My name is Nicole and I am your producer and host. So last episode, Kim and I shared our experiences facing subtle forms of harassment in school and in the workplace. We then took to Instagram to ask you guys to share with us your experiences as well, and we were flooded with responses. Although this didn't really surprise us, I think it made us think. For a country like ours that ranks the safest across Asia-Pacific for women to live in, how are the individuals who are fighting against harassment in our neighbouring countries managing Over in Indonesia, where over 400,000 cases of violence against women was reported in 2019, the country is ranked as the number one most dangerous nation for women across ASEAN nations and number two in the Asia-Pacific. According to the study, women have subpar access to healthcare, lacks laws surrounding women's safety, poor access to family planning resources and overall inequality. But gender equality is a huge political and religious issue there. Critics say that the movement is a Western-imported one and that it supports the legalisation of adultery and LGBTQ behaviour. This has led to the delay in the passing of a much-needed sexual assault bill countrywide, something that many of us may see as a basic human right. In a country of high-profile, absurd sexual violence cases, how does fighting back look like and why is there so much struggle and resistance? We speak with Citra, an activist and survivor from the organization Hollaback Jakarta. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Chitra Benazir. I'm 25 years old and I'm a uh, writer and activist. Um, I currently uh, am the one of the co-directors of Hollaback Jakarta, which is a movement of um, anti-public street harassment. So I do want to understand a bit about where Indonesia is in terms of gender equality. So just um, a, a, a background, a quick background, that Indonesia is, uh, fourth, is the fourth most populous country in the world, right? Mm-hmm. With the largest uh, Muslim population in the world. Yep. So um, we, do, we do have a certain basis of, of um, religious uh, upbringing and religious um, background, which is very uh, rooted in our, in our day-to-day life and in our um, you know, culture. But also we have such a uh, deep-rooted uh, cultural uh, history, which has also been implemented, you know, in our day-to-day life. So our gender equality is very much different um, you know, on different areas, you know, for larger cities like uh, the capital for us here in Jakarta, we are, you know, the women are facing a, a, a different challenges with the women from, you know, rural areas or the, you know, um eastern um eastern part of uh, indonesia so for us here in in jakarta we are we are more so of, of fighting for um equality in the workspace you know um gender um pay gap um you know opportunities more in a larger scale in a professional scale but we still have those areas who are still fighting for poverty or even um you know allowing women to work outside of um their houses um wear whatever they want so we have these different um sectors that yep. we're, we're tackling so um i think the the rate of or the status of uh, gender equality very much um a variety on wherever wherever you find these women in in in, in Asia. Mm. 
because we are such a religious um, nation, but the the context of religious religion itself, you know, it has been um, translating um, or prescribing these religious uh, beliefs that come from a male perspective, that comes from a, a, a patriarchy mm-hmm. uh, standpoint, you know, which is why it, it is so hard to fight against uh, those, those contexts, those way of thinking, because we have these prominent leaders that doesn't want anything to endanger their their belief and thinking. Men will always be the leader. Men will always be on top. You know, women should, especially wives, you know, should um, simply uh, bow down to their husbands or get or do anything with with permission. You know, and we're we're still allowing you know polygamy. Um, so multiple wives. Uh, and the wives have no say in them. So we still have that very domesticated belief that women should stay in their place because uh, the men can uh, create and make decisions for them. But um, that is so far away that from the you know original meaning of 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 Islam itself, you know from from what uh, of, on a larger scale it, it's Islam is very much a gender equality. Um, faith, a gender equality belief in in our um, writings. uh, We don't have uh, sayings that men should be, you know, um, leaving the women behind. It's always balanced. It's coming from a place of fear that they don't want to jeopardize their place in society. I I read also, you know, that Indonesia is one of the countries in the world that are the most, that's considered the most unsafe for women. There have been some quite high profile cases where Either the victim slash perpetrator speaks up and then they not only didn't get the redress that they sought, but they were also then handed like a in, in one incident, a woman was handed a jail term for speaking out against her perpetrator. A 41-year-old school administrator was handed a six-month prison sentence after recording her harassers' sexually suggestive phone calls. And I think my question is. Like, how does that even happen, you know? I think um, it's it's still uh, just a conversation about human rights in general mm. when, we, when we talk about um, uh, victims of uh, sexual assault here in Indonesia and, and the freedom to, to, you know, freedom of expression. Mm. And um, because uh, on a lot of these high-profile cases, the, the case was not that they were victims and speaking out, but because they were, they, uh, you know, they're, the incident was caught on tape or on camera and then they just shared it, um, you know, shared it uh, to social media or to public, just bringing light on their case, which backfired because we have this uh, law that uh, if we share, you know, pornographic materials or, you know, um, sexual uh, materials, you can get fined or you can get, like you said, jail term. So, I think there there was still a line that they did not recognize yet. It's not that they were sharing pornographic material, but they were sharing incidents of themselves. You know, they were sharing um, proof, which is also a double-edged sword because when victims uh, report their their case to uh, the police, the first thing the police ask is, do you have proof? Evidence. Evidence. These women had them, you know, and... uh, Okay, maybe she, maybe they would shouldn't share it on social media, but that's how desperate they were trying to get their message across, trying to get their story across, 
So I think it's just a whole lot of uh, nonsense and and still unlogical um, uh, practices of of these laws uh, being being put into place. You know, because okay, it's good that we have these laws sharing you know uh, pornographic material when it comes to sex tapes, for example, when it comes to uh, revenge porn, um, you know, cases. That's great. You know, we we have that law in place for that. But when it comes to sharing evidence or sharing proof, you should uh, take it uh, with a different, um, you know, with with a different um, light. So I think we have these uh, incredible laws that are uh, written down, you know, on paper. But uh, when it when it comes to being implemented, it's not really uh, working, you know, which is why we have that sexual um, violence uh, bill that we're trying to push, you know we're trying to protect uh, victims that have evidence and they that not that doesn't mm. so it's interesting because in this vein i guess when you guys are still in like the interim of trying to push for the sexual violence bill in the meantime how would victims and survivors speak up against their perpetrators uh mostly is that we have these uh, services and, uh, you know, that are coming from communities and organizations, you know, uh, collaborators from uh, Hollaback that are very much uh, being a safe space for uh, victims. We have um, one one uh, organization that is focusing only on rape victims and, you know, they... they uh, secure the uh, anonymity from these victims and have these weekly or monthly meetings that uh, victims can share with each other and get the help they need without ex- ever, um, you know, uncovering their identity and facing their perpetrators. But um, also we have, um, you know, just lawyers that w- are willing to help, you know, pro bono. We have, um, you know, law students that are all, all, all about making the, the this movement um, forward, pushing this movement forward, um, without any you know burdening the victims on on anything you know. But um, I think the most uh, secure thing right now for you to do is uh, not share your identity, not share your story in public uh, forum. Um, you know, if you if you uh, want to deal with your uh, story first if you want to um, start your healing process I think my my biggest advice is to get in touch with these communities mm-hmm. and uh, tackle it uh, inside first you know without trying to get justice um, right away yeah I think I personally believe that legislation is quite important in terms of furthering gender equality because I think it gives people an understanding or like a starting point as to where um, they should approach how they should treat people. Let's talk a bit about the sexual violence um, bill. But I was reading up and I was seeing that there, there is some pushback from lawmakers in Indonesia against the sexual violence bill. So maybe share with me what the bill is about first and why is this happening? So the bill is uh, stands for Proposed Bill to Combat Sexual Violence, right? Uh, so it's um, the, it was made uh, to make our legal system more victim-oriented in dealing with cases of sexual violence, and it identifies uh, these uh, major nine forms of sexual violence, which mm. includes sexual harassment, sexual exploitation, forced contraception, forced abortion, rape, forced marriage, forced prostitution, sexual slavery, and sexual torture. So um, our current criminal code only recognizes two of those sexual violence, which is rape and um, you know these 
ambiguous harassment term, you know, which they don't really entail what what harassment it what harassment is. Um, the the bill itself is very, you know, it's it's very detailed and uh, it's quite a long document. But all in all, what we want is please have these legalized um, process of protecting victims. So it's not actually, you know, we're not pushing some, you know, westernized or modern agenda of, of idea of feminism. You know, we just want to protect victims and victims can entail men and women, you know, or uh, our uh, minority, uh, other minority uh, groups. I think because they're talking about victims of sexual violence, of sexual assault, it automatically for them, you know, rape, uh, free uh, sexual activities, you know, it's still such a taboo uh, top subject here, you know, even sex education or sex in general, you know, sexuality is not explored uh, a lot uh, for a majority of people, not publicly at least. So um, I think simply of the term sex or even speaking about sex in general, it's still for them an icky subject, which is why they put it on hold for such a long time. Um, because they think it's, oh, we can't talk about sex. We're uh, such a religious nation. Oh, we can't talk about sexuality or exploring sexuality or, um, you know, force uh, sexual violence because we're such a, um, you know, well-respected religious um, background. Um, Also, you know, uh, because this this bill also entails these, uh, you know, our minority groups, we don't, they don't, still don't recognize that as, part of the society you know our lgbtq are very much discriminated so they don't want to it's it's i think it's just a way for them to not acknowledge mm. um a certain group uh, certain groups not acknowledge um our issues our problems which for me uh, making a change of of any kind you know uh first you must admit that that you're yep. wrong you know and i think that's not that's the thing that uh, we're not doing um as as a as a whole uh, nation mm. what is the public's general like perception? Are there different camps of people? Some who maybe are more aligned with you, and then others who are maybe agree that agree that this bill should not like pass or like yeah. What what's what's the public or like society's general perception on the movement in general? I think. I think um, for the for the um, large amount of of population is. Uh, they they don't seem to have a standpoint because they don't have enough um, education on it. You know, they don't really, uh, it, this issue is not on mainstream television. It's not um, being uh, put forth in, in layman's terms. It's not being discussed, you know, on a, on the dinner table or just around, you know, um, uh, on the streets with, with uh, people. They're not talking about uh, women's issues. They're not talking about um, sexual um, violence. Um, it's not something that they talk about or or just simply sex and sexuality in general. So I think the ones that are our allies, the ones that are fighting with us are the ones that have um, that that sort of privilege, you know, and, and that privilege can come from wealth, but also can come from education and com- can come from um, households that are uh, open in talking about uh, sexuality and talking about, um, you know, relationships because um, I think that's what I also saw uh, f- uh, from my personal experience, you know, coming from such a small, tight-knit family as an only child, 
we have um, both of my parents are very much uh, you know cultured worldly they've been around the they've been around uh, the block um so for with me they don't they don't censor anything but what what i can talk at home i can't talk with my peers i can't talk with my teachers so, and that's what i found you know oh, oh there's still some some uh, subjects that women are aren't allowed to talk you know because we're uh, we should be good examples uh you know the morality of the society um are are very much based on uh, you know pressured upon us so i think we still uh hold that that type of um stereotypes as well mm-hmm. so i think the the you can truly see the differences you know people who are fighting with us and not and and with the not is the larger amount of of uh, percentage from from that group it's not because they are you know anti women anti feminists they just don't know they don't have they're not equipped yet you know with the tools and and you know what what we are uh speaking out about because um our issues uh when when it's um in the news or when it's uh being you know documented or uh, presented to them it's such in a in a nasty way in a very fear based in a very you know um talking about us like we're some you know random groups that were not indonesian that were not holding traditional um values so they they they've just been presented um our issues in a in a wrong and or or different way mm. it's interesting because it must be incredibly frustrating for you i feel like if anybody if, if a person believes in like human rights they would pass such a bill so i think it's it, it's kind of escaping me why people would push back against it or why there would be so much resistance or like a lack of support like why isn't it that or yeah why is it taking so long to being to 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 be put in in place or to be passed that that's also the frustrations you know because for for um you know people like us who who for us this is just common sense you know why doesn't victims get uh, legal protection that's it that's all we're fighting for you know for victims to get legal protection why doesn't that uh, why it, why is that so difficult but i think is coming from that uh standpoint of uh their uh, narrow minds as in we're we're a religious nation no one have uh no one have sex before marriage mm. so none of this happens you know that that really a hard-headed denial for them to oh sex doesn't happen you know so why are these people saying that they're sexual sexually harassed sexually assaulted you know they just um are are turning the other way uh, not seeing the reality of it or even uh not acknowledging the reality of it that um just because we don't talk about sex uh in school or at home not uh, it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen of course people are going to have sex you know and the dangerous part is that they keep that narrative of we're just not going to talk about it uh so it won't happen but now we see the implications of it the younger people are having it and and learning it through pornography learning it from their friends who are also uneducated unaware you know uh and and they're doing it in an unhealthy way and we see child marriages uh you know child pregnancies happen everywhere every day um um not only in large cities like jakarta but how you know what are they going to do in rural uh, rural areas so i think th- um they still have this way of thinking that we're just not going to talk about it so it won't happen 
and uh, also, uh, you know, for the for our LGBTQ uh, peers, oh, we're not going to talk about sexuality. There, there, there is only men and women. You know, um, we're not going to talk about other uh, genders, uh, other sexuality. That doesn't. They're just, you know, throwing their uh, hands up in the air. Mm-hmm. So they don't. They don't know that people are still going to explore themselves individually, you know, people are going to still ex- explore their sexuality, explore their identity, um, regardless of, of what um, they say, you know. So I think just they, they still just don't want to acknowledge that a Muslim uh, nation are having this um, exploration, are having this uh, other um, worldly uh you know, ways of, of living or, of, or thinking, you know. I want to touch a bit about, um, I guess, Hollaback Jakarta in general, because very specifically, you guys focus on street harassment, right? Can you, I think, first of all, maybe give me some statistics around street harassment in, in Indonesia and why this is a focus for you? Like, I think in, in the whole web of like all the issues that you guys face, why did you choose to adopt this particular movement? Holobet actually is a global movement that started in the States, um, you know, from, from uh, a while ago, uh, even before 2017. And they they have been, um, you know, raising awareness on catcalling, on uh, street harassment, because the majority of the world still don't think catcalling is, is a, a type of harassment. So when um, this expat, this teacher from uh, the States uh, came here and uh, started living here, she started this movement and started gathering volunteers and activists from all around Jakarta and started Hollaback Jakarta. So we implemented uh, the teachings of the bystander intervention, for example, and the, uh, you know, the messages into a local um, perspective. And we saw a huge uh, number of people who were, you know, who got our backs, who supported our, our uh, mission and issues because it happens to them on a, on a regular basis. And um, just a few statistics. You've already mentioned that Jakarta was one of the most dangerous um, cities for women to live in. 64% uh, happens to, street harassment happens to women. Um, yet one out of 10 uh, men have also experienced harassment and um, also this regards to um, our LGBTQ peers. Um, 36% are, you know, uh, verbal harassment. 52% um, are children. So we also, um, Hollaback has this uh, platform on our website for people to share their stories. And we have such a surge amount of stories that are coming from elementary school kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, middle school kids wearing, uh, you know, their school uniforms, going to school, getting uh, harassed. So um, this is where it becomes um, such a, you know, trigger for us um, to really want to push our um, awareness forward. 53% uh, of these cases happen on um, public transportation and 35% uh, of these cases happens in, in broad daylight. So I think this can also this can all debunk our um, the myth of uh, harassment only happening at night. You know, the, uh, women are wearing uh, you know mini uh, outfits, revealing clothes, uh, walking alone at night. Um, you know, we're we're debunking all those myths because it happens to everyone. We have people in uh, burqas and hijabs uh, that are harassed. Kids, you know, uh, students. Uh, to grown women, 
um, anywhere, uh, you know, not, not only uh, walking alone. I think the only antidote is if women are walking with men, uh, with, with, you know, we sometimes we have to pretend that these men are their, our, our boyfriends, you know, even if they are our male, just are simply our friends. Um, so it, it happens on a, on a regular, on a, on a daily, daily basis. So I, I did see the website. There were, there were a lot of entries of like, you know, women coming forward, women and men coming forward, talking about how, you know, they were walking on the street and then like somebody just drove by, drove by in a motorbike and then like groped them. You know, people just uh, want to tell their stories, but most, but um, lately it has been more of um, dating violence that they're uh, coming out about um, maybe just because they don't have any other platform to uh, to tell their story. Um, but of course, the most impressionable one for me is the, you know, uh, school, school children. So uh, this is from someone uh, who are in high school. So uh, he or she said, oh, she said, um, when I was in high school, um, second or third grade uh, of high school, um, I was coming home from school uh, using a public transportation, a bus, public bus. And um, coincidentally, I sat at the back of the bus and besides me was an elderly gentleman. An elderly, this means grand, grandpa-like figure, right? And maybe he thought that I didn't notice. Maybe he thought that I didn't feel but I know that he was uh, groping my behind, my butt. Um, oh, by the way, I was wearing my school uniform, which is a long, which is a long skirt and a shirt, um, which is not tight. It's very much loose. So there are no uh, body parts showing. They're not, um, you know, it's not tight. Um, so now I have this trauma whenever I, uh, get on board on a public transportation so I just walk home for me personally when I see these happening to to uh, children it's it's a sore subject you know because how can they how can how can this happen how can they uh, sexualize and objectify these these young kids and we've had even stories of people um you know going into the hospitals um right after birth you know, so we have uh, vi vi sexual violence against babies, mm -hmm. which is, you know, un unthinkable for me um, on, on how they can see uh, someone as little as that and come to a conclusion of, you know, being sexual beings. So I think that's that's the most those those stories that come from these kids, the way they tell it, the way they speak, you know, the way they um, write it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's so much different than than the adults' um, stories, you know, because it's coming from such a confused place, mm -hmm. such from a you know, uh, they're they're so confused on why is this happening to them? Why is this? Uh, are these adults doing this to them? Because we've had uh, it 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 has become such a generational trust issues, mm -hmm. even with um, adults of like teachers or um, you know. Uh, religious leaders or even like uh, police you know we have this uh, distrust with them because of these cases you know because of these adults doing these to uh, to um, young uh, kids so I think it it 
encompasses much more than sexual violence. It it really, um, you know, becomes a, a generational um, issue. And I think it also takes a generation to heal. And I think that's by not admitting and by the government not uh, supporting us, not backing us up, are dismissing these kids' stories and voices as well. I want to touch now a bit about, I think, your story, because I think it's very interesting how you are somebody, you are a young woman who's speaking out or like being the voice for these people who don't have a platform to go to to share their own stories, right? So tell me a bit about your background first, like how um, maybe your own brush with like sexual violence and like how that culminated to where you are now being a writer and activist and a co-coordinator for Hollaback Jakarta. So a little bit of background uh, about myself. Uh, I grew up uh, abroad most most of the most of the time with um, I'm since I'm an only child with um, you know very um, open minded and very uh, very feminist parents um, you can say you know so I can see the difference in um, you know me between me and my friends how uh, we view things how our point of view was. So um, when I had uh, my first incident of uh, sexual um, assault and harassment, I was 14 and I just got back here. Uh, You know, I was uh, still trying to accustom to, um, you know, the local Indonesian uh, teen life, how how we were, uh, you know, hanging out, how we spoke uh, with each other, how dating was. From my point of view, it was simply uh, teen dating, you know, uh, just some someone that I uh, adored. I uh, I admired his, uh, you know, football skills. I, of course, thought he was cute. So in my end, I just saw this cute guy and I liked him, you know, that was it. But uh, since uh, I, he was more experienced in, um, you know, uh, being in a relationship or being sexual in general, he... Uh, nudged me towards a uh, very uh, sexual um, innuendos and uh, activities that I wasn't comfortable with. For example, introducing me to porn, uh, you know, um, which led me to always believe that porn was uh, the only sex education that I could have, you know, even though back in uh, elementary school when I was abroad, I got sex education, but it wasn't explicit. And no one uh, was able to talk to me that way, uh, you know, explain things um, the way that uh, porn was uh, visually uh, portraying. Um, He always tried to um, take ownership of my body in front of people, uh, grabbing me, touching me everywhere, or uh, even by like um, extorting uh, money from me, simply doing a later on uh, sexual activities that made me really uncomfortable because I didn't know um, any better, you know, because I didn't know um, what dating should, should entail, what, um, you know, what should, what is a healthy relationship, how to communicate if you're not uh, wanting to do something, how to say no, you know, um, I think still the mindset of, of uh, sexual violence in general, um, especially here in Indonesia, that the perpetrator is something that is someone that you don't know, a stranger, you know, in a back alleyway uh, at the in the middle of the night, um, and you're alone. Uh, it's someone you don't know, and 
uh, they can just do whatever they want to you. They don't, uh, it's not really talked about that perpetrators can be your friend, can be your family member, can be some, and it can happen at school or at home, you know, someone very close to you. And we've seen the statistics um, on that. So I think um, really just because of that uh, uh, imbalance of uh, knowledge, experience, and uh, dynamic in general, I think that made it very tough for me to, um, take control of my autonomy in general. So when I finally got to leave for college uh, in the States, you know, I was uh, growing back into my skin um, per se, you know, I was becoming, uh, you know, a, a woman, I was becoming an adult. So the, my journey of womanhood kind of excelled uh, there, you know. And I had an incident when I was a, a freshman of sexual um, assault and violence with a senior and I was a freshman at that time. Um, and I never, never go anywhere without uh, anyone else, you know, without, I, I'm never uh, out alone. So, of course, at that night, um, I had my girlfriends. One of the girls uh, contacted uh, a group of senior uh, boys who were also going to the same party with us and said, why not join uh, both of our groups together, you know, and thinking that they can protect us in, in a way. But, um, you know, without my knowledge, one of the uh, boys, one of the senior boys was someone that I knew um, uh, prior, you know, just uh, passing by in classes. Um, and and uh, there were uh, rumors around or just, uh, you know, hushes around that this guy liked me. But at that time, I didn't I wasn't interested in him. I was interested in someone else, you know, even though he didn't uh, make it to that party. But uh, everyone was on board and on the same page on saying that I wasn't looking for anything with him. Yeah. Um, so throughout that party, I can see now as an as an advocate, I can see how grooming started, you know, how he was isolating me alone, separating me with my friends, you know, uh, cornering me, um, you know, saying just sweet, sweet stuff um, just to lure me in. Uh, and we were still in the in the whole party public vibe. And then he took me upstairs uh, to it was a frat house and he took me upstairs uh, into a bathroom. He tried to go into a bathroom and a, and a bedroom at one point. But uh, what I liked was and I admired was the boys from the frat uh, from the fraternity uh, saw that and saw my discomfort, you know, because he was um, drunk and I wasn't. Uh, so the the boys from the fraternity saw and and stopped us, you know. No, you, you uh, you're not going anywhere. They locked all the bathroom. They locked all the bedrooms. Um, but what they didn't anticipate was he could take me outside. So that's what he did. He took me outside. He took my phone away and pocketed his phone. So I couldn't contact anyone. It was dark in the middle of the night. No one was around outside. Um, so he tried to push himself uh, on me. And he was shouting this, these things, you know, just how a drunk would be. How, you know, how come you, you don't love me? How come you don't want to be with me? Am I not good enough? Just saying these things. And we got into an altercation, a physical altercation, where um, a lot of the houses in front of the, you know, uh, around the, the frat house have this sensor of uh, motion sensor. So whenever you see uh, someone moving, the, the lights would turn on. And I could see that the people inside the house saw what was happening. You know, we were f fighting. We were, I was uh, punching him, saying no, screaming, but they didn't do anything. And he took me into a parking lot later on and simply just disrobed. 
and pushed myself uh, to do um, sexual things to him. Uh, and I still said no, I still said no. And that's when the bus uh, from the university pulled in and I screamed at the top of my lungs. And uh, eventually all the people realized what was happening. Um, and that was the the first and last incident with him, but I didn't see him again after that. Mm-hmm. And um, that night I was surrounded with my friends. Um, you know, they all stayed with me uh, back in the dorm. And the next day we just reported my incident and last thing we heard was that he got expelled. Hmm. I guess on your end for Hollaback Jakarta, what are your, I guess, hopes for the future of like feminism? How do you see that panning out in, in, in the rest of like the country? So um, we are celebrating uh, Kartini Day and uh, a little background on who Kartini was. Kartini is, um, was a prominent Indonesian national hero from Java. Um, she was a pioneer in the area of education for girls and women's rights uh, for Indonesians in general, not only women. So she was simply um, a woman who said no in being domesticated at her time, you know, she wanted to learn, she seek education uh, formally and informally. So um, Kartini Day is a symbol for women empowerment in Indonesia. And every April 21st, um, us all uh, commemorate her uh, memory and her legacies. Um, it's a day to celebrate her, but also it's a day to to explore um, the issues of, 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 of women in Indonesia, but also to uh, converse about what, what's not um, being done from uh, her time of fighting for her rights until now, you know. Mm-hmm. So we see a lot of um, events that are talking about women empowerment, that are talking about uh, women's issues in, in uh, every facet of life. But also, since it is Indonesia, uh, celebrations like this tend to be um, watered down, as in the government or uh, the public in general would uh, simply want to commemorate her by having children dress up as her, you know, with traditional clothes, uh, having cooking uh, uh, competitions, having poetry competitions, and really actually setting the tone back to what uh, Kartini was fighting against, you know, which is what us uh, modern uh, activists are trying to um, turn that narrative and change that perception of the day itself. You know, we shouldn't have cooking a competition uh, just to commemorate her day. You know, she wasn't, she was actually trying to get out of the kitchen, you know. Um, so why are we, why are we trying to push it back? So I think, um, and it's also still, it's still very much big on on uh, girls celebrating her and not boys, you know. And I think the the most important conversation is to talk to little boys uh, or uh, young men, you know, or men in general about her, about what she meant to their lives, what she meant to their uh, families and um, their uh, history. We're not fighting for only women. We're fighting for all of us, you know, human beings, um, people in general. Um, we, we don't want a uh, feminism that is only catering to women. We also want to take care of uh, the men and the allies that we have. Uh, having more women in, in spaces, in every facet, in every aspect, um, because uh, every decision made uh, is, is, you know, catering to uh, both women and men. So I think more uh, having more women speaking out uh, on, on their uh, 
achievement, on their opinions, on their accomplishments. Also, uh, of course, we want to pass this bill that is um, very much pro-victims and we want um, a lot, we want all of the people to know what sexual harassment is, what sexual violence is, and what are boundaries, what is consent, you know, that that can be taught in at schools or at homes. And simply not having this uh, giant elephant in the room and not talking about it. So acknowledging acknowledging our pain and admitting uh, defeat to it, you know, admitting defeat to to patriarchy in general, and start changing the whole system. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode to, I guess, share more about like feminism in Jakarta, feminism in the whole of Indonesia. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, thanks. Hope you all enjoyed this week's episode with Citra from Hollaback Jakarta. Remember, gender equality is an ongoing fight and movement and it is our duty to think about not only people in our community but people outside of our community as well. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode.